0: Thank you all for worshiping with us this morning. It is Easter morning, and I have to say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. What a hope that we have in Christ. Isn't it amazing? I'm so glad for that this morning, and I hope you are too. And if you aren't right now, I hope that by the time we're done, you will be. (laughs) So today, Easter Sunday, is one of the most massively significant days in all of Christianity. It is the day that we celebrate what we will celebrate for all of eternity. I used to get irritated. Eh, maybe too strong of a word. Have you ever heard someone say this? I heard this once in a church. Easter is like the Super Bowl of the Christian life. And I thought, the Super Bowl is like the Easter of the sports world. How could you take something like the resurrection of the Son of God from the dead to eternal life and compare that to a football game? Come on, we can do better than that. So this Sunday is significant because of what it guarantees for everyone in Christ. And if I hear anyone compare this to a football game, you will buy me coffee. The resurrection of Jesus Christ signifies so many things. thought of a couple texts. It's the foundation of our Christian hope. 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 20. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. In other words, the preaching is not in vain and your faith is not in vain because Christ was raised. The resurrection of Jesus also symbolizes death to the old way of living and newness of life in Christ. This is what we symbolize in believers' baptism. Romans 6. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And I could go on and on about everything that comes to us because Jesus is not still dead. But I want to focus on one reality this morning, an amazing reality. And to do that, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans is a sixth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And we're going to look at chapter 8 this morning. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, but we're going to focus most of our attention On 9, 10, and 11. But please follow along as I read from Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray together. Lord, we come this morning very aware of our limitations. We know ourselves. We know our tendencies. And we know there are things that we simply don't understand and cannot accomplish. So when we read here that you have done what any law or human construct could not do by sacrificing your son on our behalf, Lord, we are speechless. What kind of love is this? Sacrificial, faithful, and everlasting Father, we come this morning in the tension of knowing our sin and our unworthiness and yet rejoicing at what Jesus has done for us and to satisfy your anger against sin. So Father, as we look now at this text... And we see the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus' resurrection guarantees for all in Christ. Would you come and work in every heart? Work in my heart. Lord, impress upon us the importance of being prepared for eternity. You have prepared a future for everyone in Christ. May we all leave here in the confidence that we belong to you. For those who doubt, for those who fear, For those who are anxious, Lord, by your Spirit, come. Calm fear, reassure doubt, and strengthen in ways that only you can. I pray that Jesus Christ be glorified this morning and that we would be built up. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. Preaching is kind of an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing for a number of reasons. It's very odd when the world looks at the church and sees that a bunch of people get together on a Sunday of all days. You should be sleeping in, right? You come to church and you listen to one person talk. So there's some oddity in that as the world thinks about it. But it's also interesting for another reason in that when I look at a text or a preacher, I'll just use myself for example, when I look at a text I work through it. I pray over it. I have designs in my preaching. There's things that I pray will happen when I preach. But God also has designs for his word. Right? We read in Isaiah that the word of God goes out just like the rain falls and will not come back void but accomplishes all that God purposes. There's a design there and my job as a preacher is to take my conclusion, my work, my thinking and make it subservient to God's design. In other words, I can't just make the Bible say whatever I want it to say. I need to subject my thinking, my way of thought, my design, the things that I want to what the Word of God says. The reason I say this is because sometimes... Faithfulness to the text means conviction for those who hear. Sometimes faithfulness to the text means encouragement and strengthening for the people that hear, and sometimes it's all of them together at once. And our text today is one of hope and encouragement. And my aim, my design for this this morning, is that we would leave here knowing your future. I don't mean like in a tarot card, stir the leaves into the thing. The Bible speaks very strongly against that kind of a thing. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the confidence through the ministry of the Holy Spirit based on what Christ has done that everyone in Christ has a future of hope. And more than ever, I feel we need a message of hope. We need to know what the Bible says Take it to heart and live our lives that way. So, I'm just going to give a really brief overview of verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to spend most of our time in 10, 9, 10, and 11. But it's important just to get a little bit of a handle on what's going on. So, here goes. Paul is talking about in verses 1 through 8 what God has done through the sacrifice of Jesus. So when we get into the effects or the benefits of this, we have to tie that back and realize that everything Paul is talking about, future life, grace, resurrection, all of that is because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He says that God has done what the law could never have done because it was weakened by the flesh, our flesh. We can't perfectly obey the law. We can't fulfill the requirements, but Jesus did. That's Paul's message. We couldn't do it. The law didn't do it, but Jesus did. God sends his own son. And through Jesus' death on the cross, God condemns or puts away sin, never to be brought up again, which is another benefit that comes from the death of Jesus. On the cross, every sin of God's people was punished and paid for, completely, completely, Hebrews would tell us it was a once-for-all sacrifice. There's nothing more that needs to happen. Paul says that this putting to death of sin happens so that you and I, those who are in Christ, would no longer walk according to the flesh, that is, to satisfy your own desires, to live selfishly, to fulfill every passion that comes. Rather, we would live according to the Spirit, which is to live in a way that honors God, that is faithful to the Word. So he's making these contrasts in verses 4 through 8. He holds the life in the Spirit against the life lived in the flesh. His point in all of this, I think, is that Jesus made possible obedience. Because we can't obey perfectly. We're we're tainted. We have sin that mars us and stains us. But as I've said before, now, because of Christ, God does not look at his children in only their sin, but he looks through the righteousness of Jesus that is given to us upon our conversion. So that is a very quick, very inadequate overview. But now let's pick it up in verses 9 through 11. And I just want to read this section again so we can get it in our minds and get the context right. Follow along, Romans 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So after making these contrasts between life in the flesh, life in the spirit, Paul tells his readers that they are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Why does he say that? What's happened to them that he can confidently make that kind of assertion? Well, he addresses them in chapter 1 when he's introducing himself to the letter. Chapter 1 of Romans, verse 6. He addresses the letter to you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, Verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints. These are believers he's writing to, Christians. And I say this because of what he is going to say about the Holy Spirit indwelling believers and what that means for all of us. So hang on to that little piece of information, okay? This indwelling of the Spirit, when Paul says the Spirit of Christ dwells in you, should be read in contrast to how the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Covenant. You remember reading through the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon somebody for a unique or special act of service or obedience. But he did not dwell or take up residence. That was a blessing that came as a result of the sacrifice of Jesus, which is why Paul works his way through this way. It starts with Jesus fulfilling the law, putting sin to death, God doing all of this work through him, and then we have the Spirit of God who dwells in every believer. Because of what Jesus did in fulfilling these requirements and paying for our sin, the Spirit doesn't just occasionally come when it's super important and give us a little nudge. He dwells in us. The implication of which is going to be seen very clearly when we get to verse 11. Now at the end of verse 9, he says this another way. He uses a negative illustration by saying, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Here's the implication. If you have the Spirit of God in you, you belong to Christ. Christ. If you do not have the Spirit of God in you, you do not belong to Christ. There is no Christian who is genuinely saved, has trusted in Jesus, who does not have the Spirit and everything that that means. And there is no unbeliever who possesses the Spirit of God. Paul now says in verse 10, But if Christ is in you, which we know He is for those who trust in Him, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. What does that mean? Because of how Paul has used the word body, especially in in chapters 6, 7, and now into 8, I think we would best read this as our physical body. The body is dead because of sin. And again, when we get to verse 11, this is all going to kind of come together. In Romans 5, just a few chapters earlier, we would read this in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, see that connection? Sin comes in, death comes with it. So death spread to all men because all have sinned. So when Paul here, in chapter 8, says that the body is dead because of sin, he means that our physical bodies wear out. They weaken and Everyone in this room, unless Jesus comes back, which he could at any moment, we will experience death. Now, it's not something we dwell on usually, but that's the reality. That's the reality because of sin, which is why the message of this text is so life-giving and so encouraging. i am getting ahead of myself. Sin and the effects of sin are not going to stop God from what he has purposed to do. You see this? Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. It doesn't matter. I mean, God does not struggle to accomplish his purpose. Even if we're sinful, even if we fail, even if we die, God will accomplish his purpose. And what is that purpose? God has redeemed a people for himself that would for eternity praise the glory of his grace. We just saw that in Ephesians last fall. So keep all of this in your mind as we keep going because it's all going to come together in verse 11. Now when Paul says, the spirit is life because of righteousness, there are a number of different ways that people look at this. I believe Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit of God will give life to our physical bodies. A couple reasons why I think this. First of all, he says it explicitly in the next verse. Oftentimes if you have a question in the Bible, keep reading. If something doesn't make sense, keep reading. It oftentimes get answered. Another thing would be that the way that he phrases this, he says... The spirit is life because of righteousness. He doesn't say the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So if he was saying, the body is dead because of sin, but your soul, the soul of the person, is going to keep living, which is true, that's not a false thing to say, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say the spirit is alive. He says the spirit is life. We don't possess life in ourselves. God gives life, Right? So when he says this, and he says it this way, he is saying that the Holy Spirit of God, even though we die, even though death is a part of it, he will give life to our body. Another more technical and maybe less interesting reason would be that every time Paul uses pneuma, which is Greek for spirit, it's referring to the Holy Spirit of God, and I don't see a reason why that would suddenly change and then go back in the next verse. Okay, so a few reasons why I think that's what he's saying. So even though the body is dead because of sin, the Holy Spirit of God will bring life because of the righteousness of Jesus. Now in the middle of this discussion, and I was kind of looking at how people interpret this, I found a really great quote. This is John Stott commenting on verse 10. He says, This does not mean that our dead bodies will be revived or resuscitated and so restored to their present material existence only to die again. No, resurrection includes transformation. The raising and changing of our body into a new and glorious vehicle of our personality. Isn't that a great way to put that? And it's liberation from all frailty, disease, pain, decay, and death. It is not that the spirit is to be freed from the body... As a lot of people in the Roman and Greek culture thought, body, icky, bad. Spirit, good. Let's separate those two. That isn't the case. Rather, the Spirit will give life to the body. That's our hope. I think Paul is talking about the Spirit of God giving life to our physical bodies in the future. Now, Paul is coming to verse 11. And he's been building up to this text by telling us all of these things about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit does not, this sounds super bad, show up in the earlier part of Romans that much. Paul doesn't speak a lot about it until he gets to Romans 8. And then it is Spirit, 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 work, ministry, all of these things. Because, look what he's going to tell us. Let's read verse 11. This is why it is so important that we understand this indwelling of the Spirit in each one of us. If the Spirit of Him, this is verse 11 of chapter 8, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Now Paul doesn't put the if at the beginning of this statement to cause us to doubt or think oh, is that really going to happen or is like the possibility that it might not happen? He's using a really common grammatical thing. We do it all the time, if, then. If this is true, then this is certainly true, right? If I say I can jog 15 miles, you would all laugh for one. And then you, if I said, and I can also jog one mile, right? If I can do that, then I can certainly do that. This is what Paul is saying. If Jesus was raised to the dead by the Spirit, then that same Spirit can certainly raise us from the dead. Remember that at the beginning I said that I want us to know our future as Christians? This is what I'm talking about. We're getting to this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead guarantees that you and I, if we are in Christ, will experience Everything that Jesus experienced. That's what union with Christ means. What happens to Jesus happens to us because of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But in order to be included in this, in order for this to be true of you this morning, you need to answer yes to two different questions. Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? And do you believe that the Holy Spirit indwells in every believer? If you don't believe the Holy Spirit dwells in you and you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you don't have confidence because these are the two grounds, the two conditions of this being true. Now, you might say, how can I possibly know that Jesus rose from the dead? It's 2,000 some years ago. How? And of course, we primarily believe that Faith comes by hearing, that we need to trust and believe that the word of God is true. And even though it takes a work of God to open our understanding, to give us faith to believe, there are a couple things that can be helpful in understanding. Here's how I thought about it. How do we normally, right now in our day, how do we uh, determine if something is true? If someone's in court and there's an accusation made or uh, someone's getting prosecuted for robbing a convenience store, what is one of the surefire ways to determine if that is an accurate assumption? By a testimony or a witness. If you have someone that says, I saw it happen, yep, that's the guy. That pretty much seals it. See where I'm going with this? When we read the New Testament... When we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we get into the epistles and we see them writing and teaching about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, why should we believe that? Well, for one thing, in addition to the historical, archaeological evidence of the resurrection, all of the apostles, with the exception of John, were martyred for preaching and refusing to not preach the resurrection of Jesus. John was almost martyred. He was boiled in oil, but somehow he survived. All of them refused to recant, but went on preaching this. And for the last 2,000 years of history, this has been the message of the gospel, that Jesus came, lived the life that you couldn't live, died a death in your place and rose from the dead. And we have thousands of eyewitnesses that gave testimony in writing and now we call those manuscripts and they get put into things that we call the canon of our scripture. There are ways to have confidence, but let me tell you, the only way to truly believe is for God to do a work in your heart through his Holy Spirit. You can have all the evidence that you want And unless God changes your heart, you'll reject it. I mean, isn't this how we pray? When we pray for loved ones and family members who don't know Jesus, what are you praying? Are you praying, God, I just hope that they get the right academic paper and they can read the thesis and process things logically? Nobody prays like that. We pray, God, do the work that only you can do. Open their eyes, open their heart, take out the heart of stone, put in the heart of flesh, open their understanding. This is what Paul prayed in Ephesians. It's what we've been looking at for the last two months. It takes a work of God to believe this. Now, maybe at this point you're asking, why would he pick this text for Easter? I mean, shouldn't we be talking about the cloth that was folded and it was set there and the tomb that was empty and all this stuff. The reason that Easter is so massively important is because of what Romans 8, 11 tells us. And I'm not trying to say the other is less important. This all goes together. But Easter is not primarily to affirm historical data. It's not meant to just give us the kind of warm feeling and oh, we got to get over Good Friday. Death and blood. Let's just get to the celebration. Let's just want to celebrate. What's wrong with that? The point of Easter and the point of Romans 8, 11 are to give you and I what the author of Hebrews calls full assurance to the end. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for everyone here this morning. That we would have total confidence in what this text is telling us. Listen to me. What is going to happen to you when you die? What's going to happen to you? Do you have confidence that goes beyond the grave? Do you have hope that is strong enough to carry through? Your physical ground may go, body may go into the ground for a time. But just as Jesus didn't stay in the grave, if you are united to him, you will not stay there. This is the hope of the resurrection. My favorite song in all of the world, I mean, I am talking number one never-changing favorite, has to do with this reality. And it only has 28 words. It's number 47 from Handel's Messiah. It goes like this, since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from the dead. As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Where is your hope this morning? Is it in your goodness? Is it in the fact that you haven't been as bad as you could be? That ain't going to cut it. The only hope is that you are united to Jesus by faith and therefore will not stay dead. We know the first part of that song, right? It's taken from 1 Corinthians 15. We know that we die. We know that sin has tainted and ruined everything. We just look around, we see that. But do you know the second half? The good half. (laughs) Do you know that Just as in Adam we die, so also in Christ we are made alive. That's why the resurrection is so good. This is why Paul talks so much about the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in this chapter. When we understand that the Spirit dwells in every Christian and that Jesus was raised by the power of God through that Spirit, we put two and two together, what do you get? Romans 8, 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. There is no other hope, brothers and sisters. None. Only in Christ. As we close, let's talk about a word about why this matters. Two points of application. Number one, the resurrection gives us comfort for this life. The resurrection gives us comfort for this life. No matter how God calls you home, no matter what the circumstances are surrounding your exit from this life and your step into the next... God cares about you and your body and will one day raise it up. If you die in a fire, God will give life to your mortal body. If you die in water, God will give life to your mortal body. If you die in an accident or from cancer or from old age, God will give life to your mortal body. So if we know that our future is secure in Christ. Let that be a comfort to you and let it embolden you to live your life for Him. You can't be hurt. Not ultimately. Your life is hid with Christ in God. That's where it is. The resurrection gives comfort for this life. Number two, the resurrection gives us a sense of anticipation. At least I hope it does. Right now, you should be asking, why do I need a body in heaven? I mean, if we're just going to worship God for all of eternity, what's with the body? It's a good question. God is going to resurrect and glorify your body. This is why the John Stott quote was so helpful. It's not just that your body is going to be raised and it's going to be the same. aching knees and sore back and headaches and fatigue. no, No more. The body will be glorified. Why? Because we will be brothers and sisters, in the very presence of Almighty God. And if you and I were to stand there right now in this, we wouldn't stand. We need to be strengthened. Remember what we've been talking about in Ephesians. In order to experience the fullness of God's love and power and justice and mercy in His presence, you need a new body. The new body is not just so that we can be free of the physical stuff. It's a great benefit of it. The point is that we will finally, finally have the capacity to worship God the way we were intended to. Because of the resurrection of Jesus. So shouldn't we, knowing this, anticipate the coming of Jesus or Him calling us home? Shouldn't the resurrection build in us a sense of anticipation? I don't mean unhealthy anticipation, like you don't wear your seatbelt. But I mean, friends, we do not have to fear death. There's so much hope. There's so much hope in the Bible. And I just want you to have that this morning. So as we close and as we come to the table to celebrate what made this possible, reflect on this. If you don't know yourself in Christ this morning, come to Him. Hear my voice. Hear the gospel being presented. Jesus Christ is the only way to have hope. And you can have it this morning by faith. Confess your sin. Turn away from it and throw yourself on Him. He will. Like Brad said in the exhortation, never cast out anyone that comes to him. It's for you. It's for you. So let's let the resurrection of Jesus Christ give us a sense of anticipation for that coming day. Let's pray together. What a glorious hope that we have because of what you've done, Jesus. And Father, I pray now for every heart here. I pray for those who trust you, for those who know you, that they would be confirmed and strengthened and established in this truth, knowing that they belong to you and their future is not only known, but secure. And Lord, for the hearts that are here who do not yet know you in a saving way, by the ministry of your word and the Holy Spirit, convict them of sin. Grant them repentance to turn from that sin and come into the fellowship of the family of God. Today, while you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Father, we trust you to do this work and we are so thankful that we can celebrate today the work that Christ did and thank you so much that he did not stay dead but that you raised him to newness of life so that he is now the forerunner, the example, the captain of our salvation and we can follow him with confidence. God, as we go from here and we celebrate with our families and we rejoice over what you have done, I pray that we would always remember it's because of Christ. It's because of Christ. Help us to glorify you, Lord, in all that we do. And it's in the wonderful name of Jesus I pray. Amen.